So six of those kids had iPads. <laughs> I just got one as a going away present from my church in Rock Hill. Now, granted, that was a better going away present than from my church in the mountains. I was given a bottle of moonshine <laughs> up there. And so uh, this one I found a little more useful uh, in ministry. Uh, honestly, that was a going away present that I received. I was told not to ask any questions or where it came from. So, six iPads for four-year-olds. Wow. Well, let's not worry about that. Let's go. And speaking of prayer, this God who hears all of our prayers, let's go and seek him now. Father in heaven, we are amazed at just what we heard. You hear all of our prayers. You hear the ones that are seemingly more significant, the prayers that we cry out, pleas of help for cancer and for a lost loved one. Prayers for guidance in this world or for our marriages or for our children's hearts. But you also hear the ones which somehow are deemed insignificant for our lost car keys or for help on a test or for simple little things. God, what that teaches us is you hear And you care about every part of our world. There is no part of our life which is insignificant to you. And we are so thankful for that. God, thank you for hearing us now. In this congregation, there are so many various needs. There are needs of health. And we pray that you would be our great healer near to those who are sick and infirmed. We pray that you would come and strengthen their bodies that they would be able to return again to full health and to the enjoyment of this life and all that you've given us. There are relational needs in our church. We pray for marriages that are strained. We pray uh, for difficulties between uh, parents and children and children and their parents, even between siblings as they sit together. Father, that you would be a God of peace in our midst. Father, we pray for our church. We pray that this church would have a voice in this community. We would have a voice that's significant and a voice that speaks of hope and of life and of freedom from bondage, a hope and a restoration to the life that you've designed for us, a place of mercy and of care, of truth and of your word, of excitement to live the life designed for us in Christ, not of boredom or of religion, but the life abundant life given to us. Father, we praise you today and we thank you. We ask that you would hear all of our prayers and that you would be swift to answer. Answer in a way that brings you glory and honor and teaches us to rely more and more on you. And now we pray that you would bless this, the reading and hearing of your word and the opening of it as we talk together about what it means to live in this life for your glory. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. This morning we're going to be looking in 1 Peter, looking at chapter 2, the first 12 verses there. And I realize that in this season of transition, it's a little bit hit or miss. Dr. Barton, and so thankful for him and his ministry here, has been talking about a Christian marriage. And now we're sort of interspersing that a little bit with this. And then next week he's going to talk about Christian marriage. And then I'll be here the week after that talking about something else. And so it'll be a little bit back and forth for a while. 
but I hope that what you will find in the middle of that is what the scriptures say, and that is all scripture is God-breathed and is good for us. And there's something that we can learn this morning from God's word written from Peter. And we know so much about Peter. Peter was that excitable one, that one who uh, was willing to charge in first and then ask, what am I charging in about? He was the one who would speak first and then realize, what did I just say? And one of the things that he spoke first and didn't realize was that he said, Lord, I'd rather die than you. Don't go to Jerusalem. Don't do that. And the Lord chastised him. He said, Peter, your day is going to come when you're going to suffer. And it's coming soon enough. And I pray that you'll be strengthened enough to handle it. And here we have the answer to Christ's prayer in the ministry and the writing of Peter. Peter now the pastor. Peter now the one who's been imprisoned in Rome facing his own execution is writing these letters to the church encouraging them in the way that he was once encouraged by Christ. And he's saying you're going to experience suffering. You're going to experience difficulty in this world. You're going to to go through a lot of different things. But let me tell you, above all else, you need to know who you are and what you're called to do in this life or else you'll miss it altogether. Unless you know who you are and what your calling is in this life, what your purpose is in this life, you just go on living with no real radar. You just sort of go. One of the sayings that I say all the time is someone will ask me, so how are you doing or what are you up to? And my response normally is, well, I'm just trying to keep it between the ditches. What I mean by that is I need to know in my life where the ditches are on the side of the road, and then I get to live freely within those ditches. That's what Peter's saying. He's saying, here it is. Here's who you are and what you're called to do. Now in that, go and live freely. Go and live your life And he talks about marriage, which you're studying already. He talks about vocation. He talks about all of those things. But primarily, he says, in everything that you do, do it as one who has tasted of the goodness of the Lord, who knows who he is, who knows who she is. And in that, you go and live in whatever assignment you've been given for the time being. So let's listen together to God's word from Peter chapter 2. Verses 1 through 12. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him a living stone rejected by men but in the sight of God chosen and precious you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture behold I am laying in Zion a stone a cornerstone chosen and precious and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are, now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is God's word. May he add his blessing to the reading and to the hearing of it. What we're going to look at today is simply this. We're going to talk about who you are. We're going to talk about who you are, how you became that, and then based on that, what are you called to do? How are you called to go and live? Remember growing up in my home, my father would regularly tell me, now he was a pastor, and he would remind me of two things. Bill, always remember that you go out and you're a McCutcheon and you represent this family. And he said, secondly, remember that you're a pastor's son and you go out. Now, one of those was burdensome and one of those was light. The burdensome one was being the pastor's son because there was an expectation of who I was supposed to be based on dad's work. The other was who I was supposed to be based on birth. What Jesus is saying here through, or that God's saying here to us through Peter is, this is who you are based on birth. You are a child of God. Live as if you are. You are this person. Live according to who you are. I had no way of living other than a McCutcheon. I was raised in a McCutcheon home. I had McCutcheon tendencies. I still do. I had a mother who's from New York City and a father who's from Alabama. I have certain things which respond well to some of you who are from a different part of the country and some of you who are from around here. And I'll equally offend all of you in that. Jesus is saying, if you don't know who you are, you're always going to be lost. You're always going to try to figure out how to act, who to be. You're going to look around at popularity polls and you're going to go, oh, this is who I'm supposed to be this week. This is how I'm supposed to dress. This is how I'm supposed to act. You'll always be walking into a room and assessing the crowd, looking and going, am I accepted today? Is this who I need to be? You're going to speak in a way that's going to get the answer that you think you're supposed to get. And what you find in that and what I found always trying to live as a pastor's kid was that it was wearisome and I hated it. I hated it so much that I stopped going to church altogether. Because that's not who I was supposed to be. And I was always looking around and wondering, have I lived up to that expectation? And then the expectation would change. For some people, a pastor's kid was supposed to be the mess up. And so I went, okay, I can do that. And then for other people, the pastor's kid was supposed to be perfect. And I said, oh, I'll try to do that. And you're always walking within that balance. What's the danger of always living towards popularity polls and consensus polls? They change. They change. You do realize what's in style today won't be in style in 10 years. And you do realize some of you might need to realize what was in style 10 years ago isn't in style today. (laughs) Uh, It changes. 
it changes. So if you're constantly trying to live to that mark, it gets wearisome, doesn't it? Some of you are just flat out tired because you're trying to figure out what God's mark is in your life of who you are and how you got there. And Peter wants to say it really clearly to you today. He wants you to know this. Do you want to know who you are? He says right in this passage, you were once not a people, but now you are. You were once one who had no mercy, but now you have received mercy. That you are living stones. You are a royal priesthood, a chosen race, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession, and you're aliens and sojourners in this life. He wants you to hear this more than anything else. You are God's. He has poured his love out on you and made you his own. He has taken the righteousness of Christ, which was his only, and he's given it to you, and now he views you in a very different way. He views you as his child, as the object of his affection, as the object of his love. And with that, you have been absolutely and intrinsically changed forever. That's who you are. You are now no longer what you used to be. You do realize that when you come to Christ, there is an absolute change of your identity. One of the first sermons I preached, I was preaching at um, a small little chapel in Charlotte. And some of my buddies from high school who knew me in high school and college came and a couple of their parents came because they were, it was like a circus. They were like, we got to see this thing. Bill McCutcheon's a preacher now? Because all they remembered was Bill McCutcheon, not the preacher. The frat boy and the kid who enjoyed high school to its fullest and nth degree. And one of my friend's fathers stood and said, but Bill... I remember who you are. You know what he was really saying? You may preach all this, you may say all this, but I remember you. You're that mess up. You're that rebel. You're that malcontent teenager. I remember having a conversation with him and going, no, I'm not. That may have been who I was, but let me tell you how my God And my father now views me. He says, Bill, you're my own possession. Bill, you're my son in whom I am absolutely well pleased. Bill, you are the object of my love and my affection. Bill, you are so important to me that if you go and get yourself lost, I will leave the 99 and I'm going to go and pursue you. Will you are of so much value that I gave my son's very life and his blood to redeem yours. That's who you are. You are now more than a conqueror. You are now a warrior, valiant in heart. You are now one who has a passion for the things of God. That's who you are. Don't ever believe that lie again. That's what Peter is trying to say to us today. Do you know who you are? When I say those words, do they just bounce off of you? You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy people. You're God's possession. You're absolutely loved in him. Is that how you identify yourself? When you look in the mirror, what's your first thought in the morning? 
think about it. When you go to bed at night and you put your head on your pillow, what's your last thought about who you are? Are you just a combination of all your mess-ups? Are you just as good or as poor as you look in that mirror as it reflects your image? Or do you, in the midst of all of those assaults about your identity, do you come back to Scripture and hear what God's saying about you? He's saying you're not all of those other things. You're mine. You're changed by Christ. For some of you here this morning, you want to believe that to be the case, but it is too good to believe for you. And I'm here to tell you, no, it's not. It is attainable. If the scripture says to husbands, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, he means that's possible. If he's saying to us, live and flee from the passions of the flesh, he's saying it's possible to do that. And if he's saying to you today, believe these things, then it is believable. It is true. And so for some of you today, maybe this is the best news you've heard in a while, that he's saying you are not the sum of your parts. You are not the sum of your failures. You are not even the sum of your successes. You are what God announces you to be. And he says to you today, you're my own. You're my children. You're the absolute object of my delight. And you are subjects in my kingdom. You are citizens of my world now. That's the last thing he says. He says, and you're aliens and sojourners. Words we don't use too much. You may feel like an alien sometimes in places, but it means that you're, you're not from there. You're not from around there. And you don't understand the customs and the ways And a sojourner is one that we don't use much, but it's one who was passing through a land. It wasn't their native land, and it wasn't even their home, but they were passing through it for a while. And so you would have to look around, and he says this multiple times here in the Scripture. He says, this is who you are. You are God's own possession, and if you are God's own possession, and he is now your king, that means you need to live in such a way that you're looking to him for his way of living, not for this world's. You're exiles and aliens and sojourners in this world. I love the Super Bowl and I love watching all the commercials and I like reading about media and social media and what it says about you. You do realize that the world around us isn't neutral when it comes to how you're supposed to live, right? You're supposed to have a particular body type. You're supposed to live in a particular way. You're supposed to enjoy particular food made a particular way. You're supposed to do things in a particular way. The world here is basically saying, if you are citizens of this world, here's how you should look, live, breathe, and act. Right? Anybody feel the pressure of those things? Man, I do. You're supposed to do a certain thing and act a certain way. I hang out with my boys at their school some, and I'm around that culture. I am so thankful I'm not a teenager anymore. I wouldn't, you couldn't pay me enough. There's movies about going back to high school and reliving your high school days. Had that, been there. But then a very interesting thing happens. I go hang out with their parents and I realize, oh, this is why they act that way. Because we as adults still don't know who we are. We're still trying to live by the norms of this world. 
And Jesus is saying to you, this isn't your home. Don't buy into it. Don't buy into what it's saying about you. You need to live in such a way. You need to get your marching orders from home. So where's home? Heaven. Where God, the king, resides. So when we come and we say, how are we to live in this life? What's our calling? What is it all about? Well, where do we go look at it? Time magazine? GQ? Where do you go? Here. This tells you your citizenship and the expectations of your citizenship. This reminds you of who you are. This reminds you of how you're supposed to live in every different setting that you're in. Because he says, your highest and most important calling is to be my child. And then from that drives everything else. So I'm spending a little bit of time on this first point because it's the most important point. If you don't know who you are, you have no idea how to act. If you don't know who you are in Christ, then when he says live this way, all it becomes is a burdensome task for you. You see, he started with the gospel. Because he's saying this, you became who you are in Christ, not by your own work, but by his completed work on your behalf. Now, everything else that you do is done in response to that, not in order to gain something. You do get that, don't you? I'm sure all of you have the Ten Commandments memorized, right? In order. No. Do you know what the most important part of the Ten Commandments is? It's the prologue. It's the words right before the first commandment. And it says this. For I, the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, I have brought you out now, therefore, have no other gods before me. Do not take my name lightly. Do not make for yourselves graven images. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not lie, do not steal. Then it tells you all that. But did you catch where it started? It started with the gospel. Because you've been redeemed, because of the work that I've done for you, because of me taking you out of slavery, putting you into freedom, for me breaking the bonds that were on you, for me doing all of this on your behalf, because I've done all of that, now live this way. Most of us reverse it, right? Oh, If I only have God in my life, if I don't take his name lightly, if I honor the Sabbath day, uh, if I don't make any idols, if I don't kill anybody or hate them, if I don't cheat or look around, if I don't do all that, if I don't, if I don't, if I don't, if I don't, and if I do and I do and I do and I do, then God will love me. Does that ever get wearisome? Ever been in a relationship where the carrots seem to always move for the reward? What's that like? Usually what I do is I just give up on the relationship. Well, Bill, if you do this, then you get this reward. Well, you do all that stuff, then what happens? Well, appreciate you doing that, but if you do one more thing, then you'll get that reward. And it changes. God says this, you've got the reward in full. Now go live. Do you see the difference? You don't have to do anything to earn it. You don't have to do anything to get it. It's not religion. It's not based on you. It's based all on Him. 
And he says, now because of that, go out and live in this world. Conduct yourselves in this way is what Peter is saying. But Peter starts here, and that's where I need to start with you. Do you know who you are in Christ? And he says this, have you tasted of it? Look at that. He says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Have you tasted him? Have you, have you tasted him? He says, as a child, a newborn child hungers for, for milk. Have you ever been around a newborn kid? When they get hungry, how do they let you know they're hungry? Well, you know, Mom, there's no inconvenience to you today. I'm good with or without it. But I'd really like to have a little bit of milk because I'm kind of hungry. What does a child do? It goes nuts. I got to have the milk. It's going to find it. It is going to go and get it. And it's going to let everybody else know around it. And then when it finally gets milk, it gets that bottle and it's drinking deeply. What do you see in that child's face? Deep, absolute satisfaction. And usually it lets you know with a very loud burp at the end. (laughs) Ah. Life is good. I am so satisfied with this. That's what Peter's saying. If you've tasted of God's goodness and you're deeply satisfied in Him, live that way. Live that way. Conduct yourselves. The second point of this is once you know who you are, You'll know how to live. It's a real simple sermon outline. Do you know who you are? And are you satisfied with who you are in Christ? For most of us, we're not. And you're going around trying to find satisfaction. You're picking up bottle after bottle after bottle, which promises life and promises satisfaction. Oh, if I do this, oh, if I get that, then I'll be satisfied. Oh, if I taste this, then I'll be happy. Oh, oh, and you move around and you move around and you move around and you keep moving And Christ is trying to say to you, come and drink from me and I'll satisfy you. And once you're satisfied in him, everything else flows out of it naturally. He says, first come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is incredibly burdensome. It's so weighty that it's going to bear you down that you're never going to live up to my expectations. Isn't that what the scripture says? No. Some of you are going, yes, it is. No, no. Some of you are coming from other backgrounds and they're saying, yes, that's it. It's the weight of religion. No. It's saying my yoke is light and my burden is negligent. Why? Because I carry that for you. You just go and conduct yourselves in a way that reflects who you are. And that's what he says in the rest of this. He says, you go and live in such a way that brings glory to the Father's name. You live in that way in the way you do business and conduct yourself in business. You live in a way that you study and that you drive and that you love your spouse and that you conduct yourself in that way at a restaurant. You conduct yourself in a way uh, on the sports field. There's a young girl at our school and I remember seeing written on her calf some words one time before a game. I said, what in the world do you have written on your, you have a tattoo now? And she goes, no, Mr. McCutcheon. I said, well, what is that? And she goes, well, read it. And it said these words. 
act of worship. She goes, I write that to remind me that when I play sports, it's an act of worship to God. Wow. That 14-year-old girl got it. She realized that the manner in which I'm to conduct myself on the court and the field of play is to be done in a way that my king back home tells me it's supposed to be because that's who I am. And so I'm going to conduct myself in this way because I'm a citizen of this kingdom. I'm a citizen of heaven. And the world around me is going to look and go, wow. Are you living in that way? Do you even know how to live in that way? I'm not laying guilt on top of you. I'm saying, if you know who you are in Christ and you've tasted deeply of him, then go out and conduct yourselves in that way. I hope that that Hilton Head Presbyterian Church is known here on this island for people who do two things really, really well. Only two, okay? They know who they are. You know who you are. That you're loved in Christ by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, not by works, that no man should boast. And you know how to live. You live well. He says you live to the glory of the King. That you fight that battle to live to his glory, not to earn his praise, but because you already have it. That you go out and you live so that the world around us would know. There's a quote by David Wells in a book called God in the Wasteland. And he speaks of, of God's glory. Uh, and, and in it, well, I don't really have time to read that whole quote, but in it he says that God's glory has lost its significance in the world. It means God's weightiness or his otherness, and it's basically inconsequential today for most of us. Saying, live your lives in a way that brings glory to the king. He said, so that you can proclaim the excellencies of the world to the world around you. Do you realize that the world's watching you, don't you? It is. If you're claiming Christ, the world's watching you. If you have Facebook, and on that little religious affiliation part, you say, Jesus Christ or Christian, guess what the world's going to do when they look? Oh, is everything I'm reading on the wall consistent with that over there? Or all the postings consistent with that? Well, guess what? It's not just in social media. It's in everything. If you say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and my life is hidden in him and I'm living to his glory, they're going to look at you and they're going to go, oh, so the way you play golf, do you use your foot wedge and don't count it? I mean, I don't want to, you know, step on any toes, but the way you play golf matters for the kingdom of heaven. You do realize that, don't you? Because they're going to look around and they're going to say, huh, the way you date the way you spend your money, the way you live your life. I'll end with this. You think that's a battle to live that way? Is it difficult to live to the glory of Christ in all things? Anybody else battle? Man, it is tough, isn't it? You guys are getting used to me. I'm I'm really asking you for a response on that. Is it tough? (laughs) Yeah. It's difficult to do that. How many of you all failed to live to the glory of God this week? Hey, how many of you all failed this morning? (laughs) yeah kids shut up and come into the church so they know we love Jesus you know get those clothes on right I mean good grief it's a mess it's hard to live that way and Peter says it's a battle you are battling your own heart and you're battling a culture around you Robert Rayburn writes this about it 
There are people in the Christian church, even real Christians, I dare say, who hardly ever fight the good fight of faith. They have no scars to show that they have fought their master's battles. They never slept in their clothes with their swords at their sides. They are strangers to the struggle that other Christians know so well. Ask them how to fight your battles with sinful desires that war against your soul and they will give you a blank stare in return. They don't know what you are talking about. They do not know what it is to be weary of watching for the Lord or lifting their eyes to the hills from whence their help comes. The devil has seldom troubled them because they aren't worth the effort. Wow. Some of you are saying, the devil never bothers me. That shouldn't be a good statement. That means you're not a threat to him. There's a battle that goes on to live for the glory of Christ, of who we are, and he's saying it starts here. I hope this church is a refuge for people who battle. And guess what happens in battles sometimes? You get wounded, and you fail, and you get beat up sometimes. And this church needs to be a triage unit. It needs to be a mash unit where you're going out and you're constantly going out and living on the front lines for Christ. And you're taking Omaha Beach and you're taking Normandy and you're going into Afghanistan and you're going into Iraq. You're going and you're getting shot at. And sometimes those wounds are deep and sometimes you fail. And where you need to be able to come is back here. For other believers, other warriors, other people who know who you are and whose you are and know who they are, and in it they don't go, good gracious, look at Bill McCutcheon, he screwed up again. Look at old Bob, he went and did it again. But you come back here and you're encouraged and you're strengthened and then guess what? You're sent back out. And you look around in that foxhole with you and you see your brothers and sisters in Christ with you and you're encouraged for the fight you're encouraged for the day that's what Peter's writing do you know who you are do you know whose you are if you do go and live that way go and live freely within that freedom to succeed freedom to fail always freedom always safety Always for the glory of God. That's what we're called to do. Soli Deo Gloria. For the glory of God alone. Would that be our cry today? Let's pray. Father, what an awesome encouragement. So many times we've run out into the battle and we started to fight these battles and we started to try to live in a certain way and we realize that we lose and we lose heart. So often we do it because we think we're supposed to or we should. But God, would you remind us first that we're simply to live who we are? Would you remind us today that we're yours and that you love us? That you've forever changed us because of Christ. And then you've sent us out into this world to declare the glory and the excellencies of this one. We've tasted And it's good. It's rich food. It's the finest of drink. It is the splendor of heaven itself. And we've tasted of it. And we know 
that it's so good that nothing in this world would satisfy us. And so we don't go for the cotton candy and the corn dogs that this culture offers. We go only for the excellencies of the king's table. And seated there and eating there and being with you there, we're filled. And then we go out and we live freely in this world. Thank you that you love us just as we are in Christ. This we pray. To Christ's glory. Amen. Let me say just a word about this hymn that we're about to sing. It's lost some of its beauty over the years for it's been misused and overused in certain areas. Charlotte Elliott wrote this not as an invitation to come to Christ initially. She wrote it deep into her many years of walking with Christ and she realized she'd forgotten who she was. And she said, you know the beauty of the gospel? That Jesus loves me just as I am in him. Let's stand and sing together.